the essence of blessing is found in experiencing the manifest and expressed love of Jesus, right? It's, it's not merely about material things. Material things can convey love. If I, if I give you, you know, material gift, that can, that can help convey that feeling of love. But the essence of true blessing is the level of deep, intimate, open, and uh, unrestricted relationship that we can have with Jesus. What that does for us as a person, the way it forms our heart, the things that it enables us to walk through, that is the true essence and nature of blessing. And we talked in earlier weeks about how for some of us, it's actually hard sometimes to receive blessing, whether that's at a low level of just being able to receive a compliment uh, or to receive a gift. Maybe you prefer to give, and that's not a bad thing. But the Lord wants us to be able to receive from him. And we're going to focus today on receiving the blessing of the Prince of Peace and what that looks like for us in our lives. So if you want to go ahead and flip with me, we're just going to read one verse to start and then we're going to back up. Familiar verse at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This will be on the screen for you. New Living Translation. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We said last week in our message about the way to the Father, how this story, the things that we read in Scripture about Christmas time, is, is the pinnacle of everything in the grand narrative of God redeeming humanity, right? It's not just a, a side story or a footnote or a journey along the way. It's everything. Because what happened, what was initiated when God sent his son to put on flesh and come and be with us, was given to us as a gift, opened the door to make a way for us to have that intimate relationship with the Father. And part of what we've been mining out is what are all the things that are sort of implied or included in that. And I want to back up. I don't know how many of you are familiar, um, but I want to read verses 1 through 6 again from the New Jerusalem Bible. And I'll point out why here in a minute. Um, but just follow along with me on the screen. I, 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 maybe somebody has a New Jerusalem, but I doubt there's one present in the pews. So... Follow along with me on the screen here. Verse, uh, Isaiah 9.1. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. On the inhabitants of a country in shadow, dark as death, light has blazed forth. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest time as they exult when they are dividing the spoils. For the yoke that weighed on it, the bar across its shoulders, the rod of its oppressor, these you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the footgear clanking over the ground and the clothing rolled in blood will be burnt. It will be food for the flames. For a son has been born for us. A son has been given to us. And dominion has been laid on his shoulders. 
And this is the name he has been given. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Now there's a lot that we could draw out of there. But I'm going to share with you here in a moment three areas that I think when we look at what the Prince of Peace represents to us and, and, and try to make this practical, right? Not just, not just head, but how does this apply in our everyday lives? The Prince of Peace enables us to be in right relationship with God. To be in right relationship with someone is to be at peace. If my relationship is in a healthy place, things are in their proper order, uh, I'm at peace. So the Prince of Peace enables us to be at right relationship with God. And this is crucial for the other two that we're going to talk about in a moment. But we must first understand that what Jesus brings by coming to earth and initiating this grand redemption plan is that he enables the possibility. In other words, it was not possible prior to Jesus for us to be completely in right relationship. Now, there were righteous people. We, we read of characters in the Old Testament, but we could not on our own be in right relationship without an intermediary. Jesus made it possible to remove that middleman and enable us to say, I am now in a right relationship with God. In other words, I am for the same things he is for. I'm not, because God would tell us in his scripture, if you're not for me, you're against me. Now, most of us don't think of life outside of Christ as being against him. But if you're not for the things that he's for, then you are against. There is no, there's no middle ground. Now, you may not, uh, if you think back to, to your life before Jesus, you may not have been particularly antagonistic. You may have not been mad at God or thought poorly of him. But if you're not for him, you're against him because there, there's, no, there's no standing still. God is like, is like a, a, a mighty river of current. And you're either flowing with him or, or you're flowing against him. Okay, but the Prince of Peace enables that possibility that we could have right relationship with God. Now, I want to go back to this New Jerusalem text because when we read in most translations in Isaiah 9, 6, it talks about how the government will rest on his shoulders. And I'll be honest, this kind of tripped me up a little bit. It's like, I, I got to dig in. What, what, what are we talking about here? Because you know, the disciples got this wrong. When Jesus came to earth, you know, they had this idea that, oh, he's come to finally establish, you know, sort of an earthly governmental rule, and he's going to take over the nations, and that's how he's going to set things right. And this, com this language comes up again. But what I want to paint for... a. a paint as a picture for you is this language in the New Jerusalem Bible. Instead of saying that, it says dominion has been laid on his shoulders. How many of you know the story of Joseph and the, and the, and the coat, right? That's the picture that I want you to have, is that Jesus came. He was given to us as a gift, and dominion, which we'll define in a moment, was, was put on his shoulders like a coat. He was clothed with authority. Prior to, I believe it was 1982, 
um, when some laws were passed that, that finally made Canada like fully independent. Prior to that, uh, as many of you probably know, Canada would have been considered a dominion, having its own sort of rulers and things, but under the authority of the queen at the time. It would now be King Charles, but like I said, things have changed. And so the dominion of Canada was ruled by those rulers, but that authority to rule was under the authority of the queen. Here's what I'm trying to paint for you is that Jesus was given authority from the Father. And we only have any level of authority because of the relationship that we have with him. Right? And so sometimes we get this idea that, you know, well, if I say that I've got authority, then I'm, I'm claiming that I'm like God. Or I'm taking something that doesn't belong to me. No, it, 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 there's always boundaries. But Jesus is where this starts. He was clothed, or he had dominion, authority put on him by the Father because of his relationship with the Father. And so in other words, because Jesus was at peace with God, he was in perfect alignment with the will, the plans, the purpose, and the character of his Father, God, God was able to entrust him, was able to clothe him with that authority which then enabled him as God's son to pass that on to us, to, to enable us to be able to step into that type of relationship of being not only right with God, not only at peace with God, but able to operate within the authority of God. And you see, we have been clothed with that authority. It never supersedes God. It doesn't go outside of the bounds uh, of of what he has established, but he has brought that to us as a prince of peace. Let's go on and read just a, another verse. Um, this will be on the screen again. To extend his dominion, so again, we're defining that, Jesus's uh, power, authority to rule within his kingdom in boundless peace. I want you to notice, Jesus... Again, it's like, how many times do we miss it? See, it says his government is peace in, in, in a different translation. The way that Jesus rules is not probably the way we would do it. It's not through purely exerting means of force. To extend his dominion in boundless peace over the throne of David and over his kingdom to make it secure and sustain it in fair judgment and integrity. From this time onwards and forever, the jealous love of Yahweh will do this. And that, that's sort of that, that stamp of, of approval. That it is, it is, again, God's love expressed to humanity that enables all of this to happen. It is because God loved you with a jealous and fierce love that he wanted to be able to bring you into this intimate relationship that he sent his son as the prince of peace, that he entrusted him with authority to overrule the authorities that were set up in the earth, to say, you can come in. You can, because of the prince of peace, you can enter into this relationship with Jesus. 
And so again, peace for us this Christmas, first of all, means right relationship with God. John 14, 27, the Bible would say to us, again, this is that New Jerusalem Bible, peace I bequeath to you. Now, that's not a word, but I think that we often use, but we know what it means. In other words, peace, it belongs to me, and I'm giving it to you as an inheritance. I'm passing it on to you as a gift. And it says, my own peace I give you. So what Jesus gives to us as the Prince of Peace is not just saying, you know, oh, here's something I picked up over here. This will work for you. No, he's saying the very peace that I carry as the Son of God, that very peace I give to you. I take of myself, I, I'm, and that doesn't deplete him. He still carries the full measure of peace, but he's saying his very own peace, the same level of right relationship that Jesus has with the Father, he gives to us. And he says, my own peace I give to you, a peace which the world cannot give. This is my gift to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. This gift the world cannot give. Now, we, we have things in the world, you know, so many of you know I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. So if I get some time on a Monday morning, I can put my headphones on, dial up my favorite music, kick back, read a book, you know, like have some me time, if you will. That might bring some, like, that's, that's peaceful. I'm, I'm doing things that feed my soul, things that I enjoy. Maybe for you it's an activity or a hobby. Another one for me in a warmer season of the year is to go out and hike a trail. You know, again, just to kind of get away from the busyness of everything that's going on. But I want to recognize that those activities, because of the peace that I have with God, it's putting me in touch with that. The world cannot give this type of peace. So in other words, you can't take these things just as principles. And there's plenty of that out there in, in pop psychology and different places. And, you know, here's 15 things to self-help your way to more peace. And I'm not saying that any particular one of those is a bad practice. But outside of a relationship with the living God, with Jesus Christ, you cannot reach true peace. You cannot reach true peace and a right relationship with God. Okay, let's move on. Peace also means right relationship with one another. Relational strife is not what God designed us for. Now, I, I'm not trying to pretend that it doesn't happen, right? Like we probably all have within reason enough memory that we could still dial it up, some relational strife. Whether it's a disagreement, an argument, uh, personalities that don't seem to quite match or mesh. And that's part of life. We, we understand that. I, I'm not trying to execute judgment, but my, my point is that out of this right relationship with God, the Prince of Peace wants to help move us towards right relationship with each other. Now, right relationship does not mean conformity. Right? It doesn't mean that we all have to be exactly the same or we all have to have the same opinions or thoughts or that we even all have to have the same type of relationship. 
but we should have peace in our relationship. The, the key word is right relationship. That as believers, we should prefer one another. We should express brotherly and sisterly love towards one another. And the Prince of Peace is the one who enables that. Uh, flip over, if you will, with me to Mark chapter 9. Just one quick verse, verse 50. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. This is from the New Living Translation. And, and we know, uh, probably very familiar with the analogy of, of, of salt, us being salt in the earth. All right, so verse 50 says, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, if it, if it goes bad, in other words... How do you make it salty again? It says, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Uh, one of the ways that the, the message version uh, talks about this concept of salt is that we, as salt in the world, help bring out the God flavors. Just as, as salt does naturally in cooking, when I, when I salt a piece of meat... The salt is helped drawing out the flavors that are in that piece. It makes it more flavorful, more tasty, more enjoyable to eat. That's what we as believers are supposed to do. Another way of saying it is a scripture that talks about how iron sharpens iron. Now, we usually associate that with a men's conference or something, but, but, it's, but it's for all of us. Believers having right relationship with each other means that we help each other the way that a family does. Not just that we help out, but that I, as salt, help bring out the God flavors in your life by calling out things that I see, by encouraging you, by uh, praying for you, by doing things, again, to bring out the God flavors. And then in the context of right relationship, we can also uh, help correct each other. Now, that's key. In the context of right relationship, I've used this analogy probably more times than I can remember. But if I walk up to a stranger on the street and see them doing something dumb, I can't walk up and, and uh, to use Tina's phrase, you know, you should have had a V8 them on the forehead. Because I don't have a relationship with that person. I'm going to come off as, you know, well, wh what business is it of yours? Who are you to say this to me? so on and so forth. But if my best friend goes off and does something stupid, you better believe I'm going to have words with him about it. And that's actually a loving thing. But it only works in the context of right relationship. It's in the context of right relationship, uh, correction and even things that might sting. So let me, let me talk about it this way. There are things, so we need these relationships in our life. Because there are things about you that you don't see. And by having people close to you with right relationship who love you and care for you, they can share with you the things that you don't see. And you're able to trust that because of the context of right relationship. And in that way, they're like iron sharpening iron. If you're open to that in right relationship you can actually become better. Where you might wander around the rest of your life and never be aware, you know, I have this thing that I do that's probably not healthy or helpful. We need people in our lives who are willing to speak into us in that way and to share those things, again, in the context of love and right relationship.
I've read this verse a million times in the past and heard it as an instruction of something that I just need to, to do. In other words, live at peace with each other means you better get along. You know, it's like put on your big boy pants, grit your teeth, and stop making trouble with people. Well, maybe there's, you know, those are probably good things to do to an extent. But it, 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 it comes alive in a whole different way when I realize the only way that I can have that type of relationship with other people is if I've got my relationship with God first. If I have right relationship with God, that relationship enables, first of all, me to be like Him. And it enables me to have good relationships with other people. Now, I don't know what kind of teaching and system you grew up under. I never heard this taught, but I think in many places there's this unspoken implication that the way to live a good life is to just do more right things, right? Like clean up the behaviors and, you know, check the boxes of things that good Christian people do and, you know, progressively you'll get better and better over time because your willpower will strengthen and I don't think that we can do it outside of God's help. In other words, the, the, the statement that I'm trying to, to emphasize to you is that that right relationship with God is the only thing. It's like the key ingredient in a recipe. I can't get to the result that I want without that key ingredient. Right relationship with God enables me to be like Him. Not, not, not in the way that I wave a magic wand. I recognize I'm still in process. But to any measure that I am like Jesus and you are like Jesus, whatever measure that is, it's only possible because of the relationship that you have with him and the work that he does in you to bring that about. The last one, and this is maybe the most difficult Peace also means right relationship with myself. Right relationship with myself. And, and, you know, many of us either struggle with this area or think it's totally unimportant. As long as I treat other people right, and, and I don't know, you know, I'm not, I don't know who you are, but I know some of us at least, I know I've done this at times, will sometimes try to treat other people right to our own detriment. We will serve other people at our own expense. Now, I'm not, sometimes it's, it's good to sacrifice. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But we need to have right relationship with ourselves. And again, this completely flows out of our relationship with God. And one of the key things that this looks like is that right relationship with myself recognizes I am not who I feel like I am if that doesn't line up with who God says I am. If there's any disconnect between my experience and the way I feel about myself and what God says, the problem is not on his end. There's this term that, you know, it's not a new term, but it really sort of came to the surface for, for several years. And, and it's not that it's gone, but the emphasis was very high for several years about identity in Christ. And that's a legitimate concept. I, I'm not, I, it's actually very important that we understand identity in Christ 
It's not just knowing who I am and like what's my personality type and what are my tendencies. My identity in Christ is who is it that he has made me to be? Who is it that he has made you to be? What are the specific and unique ways that he has gifted you, wired you, and that his relationship with you enables you to do things that are uniquely fitted for you? In other words, think of the image of a thumbprint. If our relationship with God, he puts his thumbprint on us, and it's different for each one of us. And that affects the way that we live, the way that we serve, the way that we have that relationship with other people. But it's entirely unique to each person. And so one of the cautions here when it comes to identity, there is a tendency for us to measure our identity by comparison. Who is that person that we look up to? And it's good to have people we look up to. It's good to have mentors and Uh, It's actually crucial that we have people in our life that are further down the road than we are. And it's probably just as crucial that we turn around and help some people that are not as far along as we are. Our relationship should go both ways. But it's entirely unique. The way that God has designed me, wired me, gifted me. And the truth of the matter is, just like ingredients in a stew... To get the fullness of the flavor, we need every single one that's represented in the body. And you might think, you know, if I'm, if I'm making a pot of stew, you know, well, that one little pinch of turmeric or that one, ba- you know, that's not going to make that much difference. And you know what? By itself, it might not. But when all the different flavors meld together, you begin to create something totally unique that has a sweet-smelling aroma that has a unique taste and we have to learn who god says we are in order to represent the flavor that he has called us to be and then in conjunction with the others as we've been talking about we begin to mix we begin to represent or represent the flavors of god as we do life together isn't that a beautiful picture? And, and, and you don't have to be anything you're not. This is the other part about right relationship with yourself. It means if I'm a cayenne flake, I don't have to be a bay leaf. Now, some of you are laughing. It's like, he's a little spicy sometimes. <laughs> we have an appreciation for spicy people around here, so that's totally okay. But, it, but if I am that herb or that, I don't have to be something else. And I don't have to make sure that that something else gets brought into the mix. God is over all of it. And he has given you authority. He has put dominion on your shoulders like a coat to be exactly who you are and to rule within the sphere of influence that he's given you as whatever that thing is that he's called you to be. And coming to grips with that even when it sometimes makes us uncomfortable. Again, like we've talked about this a few times, my natural tendency is to be an introvert. You might think, how does that square up with being a person who stands in front of people and talks in a crowd pretty much every week and has a job that, that you know, I spend time every week talking with people over coffee, you know, 
all of the things that maybe introverts don't like to do. It's because God has graced me with the ability to do it. It doesn't even go against my nature. I have learned for me, being an introvert doesn't mean... Now, you, some people who identify as introverts could be described as antisocial. And that, you know, it, it is what it is. I have learned for me what that tendency simply means is, I, and actually, if I take the test, I'm an introverted extrovert. I'm not a true introvert. I'm not a true... If you want to meet a true extrovert, it's my wife. She's over there. <laughs> you know, Ellie, same. Never meets a stranger. Conversation with it, you know. It's like, what I've learned for me... And, and so this doesn't apply to you because it's different for everybody. But what I've learned for me, the main thing that that means is that I need to have a regular rhythm of Sabbath rest and solitude to recharge my batteries. I actually... So, but, but what I don't want you to hear is oh, well, he's just having to grit his teeth and, you know, like this context. No, I enjoy it. God has graced me and enabled me to do it. I love it. I could be doing a lot of other things, and I I love doing what I do. But I also know that there's a limit. It's like if I have batteries, they eventually get depleted and they have to be recharged. Otherwise, that spiciness comes out a little bit more. Ask my wife. Right relationship with yourself. And I would just encourage you, even as we go into this Christmas season, you know, a lot of family contexts and things that happen around this time of year, we start to come under expectations of other people, right? Well, they, they expect this of me, or they, they know my history, and so therefore they expect this. Part of right relationship with yourself is knowing you are not identified uh, by your past, by your history, you are primarily identified by who God says you are. And, you're, and, and if you go way back to one of our other series, we are all people in process. Give yourself that slack. You're in process. But you need to primarily identify as who God says you are. 